Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in college, I liked to surround myself with quotations or short prayers from professors or great thinkers or favorite books that I was reading so that I could attempt to glean some wisdom from from those whom I admired. I would often write them out on on little post-it notes and then I'd stick them on my desk or on my computer, sometimes on my bathroom mirror so that I could read these things uh, as I was brushing my teeth and I wanted to be surrounded by their wisdom all the time. It's a practice that I actually still continue today, although I I don't use post-it notes. Now I I open up the little notes app on my iPhone and I sort of type things in whenever I hear something that's interesting that I want to remember. Uh, Those little bits of wisdom, I like to surround myself with that. I was sent an email a few weeks ago from a friend and it contained 15 words of wisdom from children. And so I thought I'd share a few of those words of wisdom with you this morning just to get our minds thinking. Patrick, in this email, age 10, said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Michael, <laughs> Michael, age 14, said, when your dad is mad at you and asks, do I look stupid, don't answer him. <laughs> Amir, age 9, said, you can't hide a piece of broccoli in a glass of milk. <laughs> Alicia, age 13, said, when you get a bad grade in school, show it to your mom when she's on the phone. And my personal favorite on the list comes from Naomi, age 15. She said, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. (laughs) Lots of wisdom there. We should all write that down. One of the best lessons that I learned in seminary at Sewanee came, came on the very first day of classes for me. My theology professor, she walked into the classroom. She put down her briefcase and her cup of coffee, and I've told some of you all this before, and she stood before our class and told us that she had good news to share with us that day, and she had even better news that she was going to share with us that day. The good news, she said, was that there is a God. And the better news, she went on to say, is that none of you are him. And that's the prayer that she taught us to pray on that first day of class. She encouraged us to start each day by saying to ourselves and to God, God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. I was thinking about about Dr. Crysdale's words as as I read through our gospel reading for today. We're in the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel account, and it's helpful to remember what we've heard these past few weeks in this season after the Epiphany. These past weeks we've been hearing about the the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his baptism in the Jordan River, and his first miracle at a wedding in Cana. We heard those stories back in mid-January. The last two weeks we've been hearing about the, the sermon that Jesus preaches in a synagogue in his hometown. He's preaching on the book of the prophet Isaiah, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to, uh, and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Luke says when he finishes preaching on that passage, he, he rolls up the scroll and he says to the people there today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the townspeople, they get so enraged at what he said that they take him to a high hill and they start to throw him off the cliff, cliff but he's able to escape from the town. This is all the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and, and right out of the gate, right at the beginning, he's causing people to question all that they know, all that they believe. He's even infuriating some of them. All, all of this happens right before what we hear today. We haven't heard today's reading from Luke's Gospel in, in a while. It's been nine years, in fact. The last time we heard this particular Gospel text text read in church on a Sunday morning was on February 7, 2010, and that's because it only appears on the fifth Sunday of after the Epiphany in year C of our, our three-year lectionary cycle. In the last two year Cs, 2016 and then 2013 before that, Ash Wednesday came much earlier than it does this year, and so there were not enough Sundays in between Epiphany and Lent for us to hear this particular reading. That means that it's been nine years since we've heard Luke's version of the calling of Jesus' first disciples. In this case, in this story, Simon, Peter, James, and John. Now, all four of the gospel accounts have call narratives, and Matthew and Mark's are, are somewhat similar to what we hear Jesus saying today. Matthew and Mark say that Jesus sees Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Jesus sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They're all fishermen, and he tells them to follow him, and they will be fishing for people. And amazingly, they do it. They leave their nets, their boats, their families, their very security, and they follow Jesus. And that's the end of the call story in Matthew and Mark. Luke has Jesus saying that very same thing to the disciples, but, but it's only after... He has told these three fishermen, Simon, Peter, James, and John, how they should do their jobs. They've been working all night, Luke says, and then Jesus walks up. He commandeers one of their boats to finish a, finish a sermon to the crowds, and then, and then he tells Simon Peter to, to go out into the deep water to, to let down the nets. And Simon responds, as many of us do, when someone who isn't in our profession tries to tell us how to do our jobs, he says, really? We've been out all night and we haven't caught anything. Simon Peter, maybe because he's tired or maybe because he doesn't know Jesus that well, yet responds, well, he responds as if he knows more than God. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Most of us do it at various points in our life, in our relationship with God. We may not actually think that we know more than God, but we certainly behave that way from time to time. We hear Jesus say one thing to us, and then we respond with, with those two little words, yes, but. Let's call this the, the yes, but syndrome. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's something that Jesus says in the Gospels. And, and then we respond with something like, yes, yes, but we've, we've also got to worry about our own security, and so it's better just to take out our enemies. Blessed are the peacemakers, another thing we hear Jesus saying in the Gospels. And then sometimes we're tempted to respond, yes, but, but won't we be safer if we, if we just build a wall around ourselves? Won't we be safer if we start to arm our teachers? Those are our often responses we make. Go and, go and sell all of your possessions, Jesus says, and give, give your money to the poor. And then we say something like, yes, but, 
I've got to worry about the house payment, and what about the kids' tuition, and, and how am I supposed to plan for retirement if I get rid of everything? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yes, but I've got a whole lot of work I've got to catch up on, and, and then there's the kids' travel, soccer schedule, and so many other things. Put out, put out into the deep water, Jesus says, and let down your nets for a catch. Yes, but we've been out all night, and, and we haven't caught anything, and, and we're really tired, and hey, aren't, aren't you just a carpenter and we're the fishermen here? Simon Peter seems to, to respond to Jesus in the same way that my wife often responds to me when I start to pontificate on things about which I know very little. She, Simon Peter seems to be saying, stay in your lane, man. The, the yes, but syndrome, I think, is an easy trap to fall into. And many of us, myself included, do it often. Simon almost falls into this trap of thinking that he knows more than God. But then he seems to reluctantly say, yet, yet if you say so, Jesus, I'll let the nets down. And when he does, he, he is amazed. His, his life has changed, and he seems to, to get that axiom that my professor gave to me in seminary. God, God is God, and I am not. He gets it. Now, of course, Peter will forget all of that at various points uh, in his time with Jesus. All we need to do is, is call to mind some of those other gospel scenes where Jesus says to Peter things like, Get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not, not on divine things, but on human things. Or when he says to Simon Peter, truly, truly, I tell you, Simon, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter forgets that God is God and that he is not. And, and so, too, will we at various points in our life. We'll have doubts. We'll have struggles. We'll have to deal with life with all of its ups and downs. And we may forget that, that God is God and I am not. And that's okay. That, I think, is part of faith, to have those doubts, those struggles, those questions, and then, and then to have an encounter with the living God that brings us back, that makes us fall on our knees, that causes us to cry out as Peter does in this scene, go, go away from me, Lord, for I am a, a sinful person. And Jesus' response to Peter is the same one that he gives to us. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Let's go fishing. The story isn't finished, though. For when they get back to the shore, Luke tells us that, that Peter and James and John, they leave everything. They leave the boats, the nets, the huge catch of fish. They, they leave it all and they follow Jesus. Can, can we do the same thing? Can we leave everything behind to follow Jesus? Most of us, I think, find this part of the story to be uh, the most difficult, and we will begin to fall prey to that, to that nasty yet-but syndrome again. But the thing is, when, when, we're, when we're ready, when, when you are ready, God in Christ will be there, and God in Christ will say to you, let's go. Cast out into the deep waters of life. Don't, don't be afraid. Do not fear. When we're ready... Let our prayer be like that one that, that Francis Drake wrote nearly 500 years ago. He said, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore, 
Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly and to venture out on to wider seas. The real miracle in this story, I think, isn't, isn't the huge catch of fish. That's not the miracle. The real miracle is that Simon and James and John are disturbed. They're disrupted from their life's work. They're changed by their encounter with God. And so they decide that they are going to live their lives trusting that God is God. Can we do the same thing? God is God, and I am not. Amen. Amen.